Hello and welcome to this bonus episode of the Ed Surge On Air podcast, recorded this week at the South by Southwest EDU conference down in Austin. Maria Konnikova doesn't buy the 10,000-hour rule. The theory popularized by Malcolm Gladwell that it takes 10,000 hours at least of serious practice to become world-class at some activity. She believes she's found a way to short-circuit that, and it involves marshmallows and poker. Konnikova is a world-class writer. The author of best-selling books including Mastermind, How to Think Like Sherlock Holmes, and The Confidence Game, as well as a contributing writer for The New Yorker magazine. You might also have caught her on podcasts, including a regular segment she does on The Gist. But something unexpected happened during research for her latest book, which is about chance. She started playing poker for her research. And she started winning. Big wins. Including taking first place in a national tournament. All told, she's pulled in more than $270,000 at the poker table. And she's gone pro as part of a team sponsored by a poker website. This week, she spoke at South by Southwest EDU, explaining why she sees poker as a key to removing strong emotions from decisions. It turns out that our brains are pretty easy to fool, she says. But if you know more about how they work, you can find distancing techniques to cool emotions and master your domain. I sat down with Konakova just after her talk to hear her advice for educators. She was short on time, so this is shorter than the usual episode, but we wanted to get it out this week and, and share it with you all. Here's that conversation. Thanks so much for, for being here today. Thanks. I know you just gave your talk here, um, so you must be a little tired, but thanks for talking with us. Of course, of course. Happy to do it. So I'm really curious about kind of your origin story with, with research of this marsh. I hear you worked in your own psychology PhD with the, the person who did the marshmallow experiment, which is quite famous. Could you remind what that remind listeners like what that experiment is and then sure. and then what was your role in that sure. uh, in that kind of research so my my advisor was Walter Michelle um, who back in the 60s had this idea that he would have kids be seated in front of a reward that was really tempting to them this is known as a marshmallow study because oftentimes the reward was a marshmallow but it could also be other things so he'd basically find something that you really really liked so if you love chocolate chip cookies you'd have a chocolate chip cookie straight out of the oven right in front of you you're four years old this is very tempting and what he would say is okay you can have this now or i'm going to leave the room right now and if you wait until I come back, you can have two or three or however many it was to make the reward worthwhile. But if you're sick of waiting at any point, just ring this bell and eat your, eat your cookie, there eat your right marshmallow. Yeah. Um, and what he found was that the kids who could wait the longest, um, who could delay gratification, this is called the delay of gratification study, for the longest periods of time, ended up doing much better in a lot of things in life throughout the, their lives. So this ended up being one of the longest um, longitudinal studies in psychology. Um, it's still going on right now. And so it ended up that kids who didn't eat their marshmallow um, did better in schools, um, had higher SAT scores, got into better colleges, were less likely to do drugs, less likely to go to prison, had better jobs, made more money, had better marriages, were healthier, were happier, so many things. Um, and so I wanted to work with Walter specifically. So I actually went to work with him because I was fascinated in this idea of self-control and of figuring out 
you know, how we can take it to the next level. What I ended up doing instead, um, I designed a study that was meant to show what self-control can do in risky environments, in uncertain environments, in finance environments. Um, so I had a stock market study. And I ended up finding that people who were higher in self-control did worse than that. And I thought, whoa, what's going on? It's kind of the Achilles heel of high self-control, the illusion of control. So I became fascinated by chance, by uncertainty, by risk, and by how our brain reacts to it. And somehow this led you to poker? This did lead me to poker. <laughs> because if you think about decision-making in a risky environment um, where you actually need to make correct decisions um, and you're forced to learn if you're going to succeed, poker is actually an ideal place to learn because poker is an environment that's like a lot of decision environments in life where you have incomplete information, um, you are dealing with this uncertainty, but you have to make a decision and finally decide how do I quantify the uncertainty and decide in the best way possible given what I know and given what I don't know. And so I wanted to explore kind of this balance of skill and chance and the illusion of control, figuring out how we can get beyond the illusion of control and actually start to disentangle what we can and can't control in our decisions. And I came to poker through that um, and ended up falling down a rabbit hole and became a professional poker player. No, I, I do love this. And there are a couple books that I love where the, the writer has gone off and become the thing, you know, like Word Freak. Sure. comes to mind yeah, with the Scrabble player. I love it. And yours is in that, in that genre, but I just feel like that it feels like almost maybe even more of a surprise in your case that you didn't necessarily think you were going to be on the circuit. Abs whereas, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I think that something that's unique to my story um, is that I started from literal zero. I <laughs> didn't know the rules of poker, didn't know how many cards were in a deck, didn't know anything. So I actually started from nothing. I was not a games player. I was not a card player. And so it, for me, it was a true learning experience. And it was actually a very clean experiment um, where I, you know, unlike something like Word Freak, where you've played Scrabble, Scrabble in the yeah. past, um, I actually started from zero. And so it was a true learning journey. Um, and yeah, it was very surprising to me. I had no idea what to expect that I ended up doing well. And I had, talk about luck, you know, I had a lot of things go my way. I got one of the best players in the world to agree to coach me. You know, that's huge. Um, sure. And so I didn't, and I didn't have any bad habits. So I got to learn from <laughs> good habits right away. Um, and so I think that a lot of things went right. But first, a lot of things went wrong. Yeah. And I, one of the, I guess I'm curious about that moment where where you started winning. You, it sounds like you say this book you're working on now, you're, that you have some insights for learning based on your mm -hmm. poker experience. Was there, what was one of the first ones that you ended up having as, I mean, I'm sure you, like you said, you, it wasn't all winning. No, I mean, I think one of the first insights I had was, and it, this has to do with the fact that I studied self-control and I studied with Walter Back Michelle. to that experiment we exactly, talked about. Exactly, was just how emotional I could be in my decisions because I thought that I was really good at cooling stimuli. I knew exactly what I was supposed to do, but at the poker table you find yourself making these mistakes anyway because it's such an emotional environment. Interesting, and even though you don't come in with this attitude like, oh, I'm a good poker player, yeah. and like you sure had some of that baggage was gone. Yep. But even so, you found yourself getting... Yes. Absolutely. What What are some advices uh, advice you might give to teachers out there then um, from what they can learn from um, 
from from the from you know from your experience playing poker and from your you know I would actually research. say that poker is a brilliant teaching tool. My advice to teachers would be to actually literally teach their kids how to play poker, but teach it correctly so that they learn it not as this fun game where I can win chips, but as a way of understanding risk, as a way of understanding emotion and how you you're supposed to regulate emotion so that you make better decisions because it forces you to deal with other people. It forces you to recognize emotions in other people and in yourself. It forces you to control those emotions. It forces you to actually think in probabilities, to quantify risk, to make decisions based on the information that you have, to quantify uncertainty, and nothing else teaches you that. So I would actually do that explicitly. And then I would say, okay, now we have this framework, let's apply it to everything else we're learning. Um, and why don't you, you know, remember at the poker table when this happened and what you did, why don't you do it now? And I guess some people might say that, you know, th that sounds like gambling, but you're saying think of it as more of a game theory. Think of it more exactly. of a learning. I think that it's only gambling if you don't know how to play. I don't think that poker is gambling. Poker is a skill game with a chance element, but so are lots of things in life. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for talking with us. Of course. Thank you so much. This has been a special bonus episode of the Ed Surge On Air podcast. If you're new to the show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or, or wherever you listen. This episode was edited and produced by me, Jeff Young. We'll be back on Tuesday with a full episode at our regular time. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.